The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. All right, church, let's go to Colossians. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. We have been in this book. This is the fourth week now, um, trekking through our series, Secrets to a Satisfied Life. Um, and we, uh, I hope God has already been starting to use it in your life and already just kind of helping you understand Scripture and understand His love for you a little bit more and understand the richness and, and the beauty of Jesus, which Paul is talking about in this book to the church at Colossae. First, we, uh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, this is week four, so we started out the series just talking about the context and background of Paul is in prison in Rome, writing to this church he's never met. Um, that he's heard news of through this guy named Epaphras, who was most likely the pastor at Colossae. And Epaphras lets him know that um, how they're doing and their faith and well, the fruit that they're bearing. And, but that also that false teachers have begun to come in and kind of subvert things and add things and kind of bring some confusion. So Paul writes this letter in response. And then we saw two weeks ago um, that uh, Nick preached that Christ is enough for our growth. And that really is the, the, the subheading of our series, Secrets to a Satisfied Life. Christ is enough. And we're just unpacking that week by week. Christ is enough in this. Christ is enough for this. And so last week we saw that Christ is enough for us to praise Him and give gratitude. That whatever circumstances are going on, Jesus is always enough to give praise and, and to give thanks and to have that heart posture. So today we're talking about how Christ is enough for our ministry for a ministry. Um, and, and many of us can hear that, and we think different things, and we maybe assume different things on that meaning. So I wanted to find that word, because it's going to be very important today that we are kind of all on the same page when we're talking about ministry and being ministers and what that means, because really that's what Paul's talking about today. He's not, in our passage, and we're actually making it out of chapter one into chapter two, so woohoo, um, he doesn't really tell the Colossians, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, he really is like talking about himself and he's just saying, here's my role. And he's almost like helping them get to know him a little bit more. And he's communicating, as we're going to see, his love and care for this church that he has never even met. Okay, so let's go ahead. Let's stand. Let's read our passage. Colossians 1, 24. Here's what, since it's more lengthy, we've got a lot, of, lot to get through today. Um, we're going to read responsibly, so I'm going to start in chapter 24, uh, verse 24, then you'll join me in 25, I'll read 26, then you'll join me in 27, okay? So the word of the Lord says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, together. I have been made a servant of it according to the commission of God, which has been given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them, God would make known what is the glorious riches of this mystery among the nations. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present them perfect in Christ Jesus. In this I labor, striving according to his power, which effectively works in me. I would like you to know, Colossians, what a great struggle I'm having for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for everyone who has not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love, and receive all the riches and assurance of full understanding and knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone beguile you with enticing words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing in seeing your orderliness and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Our theme today is this, that if you're a believer in here, if you understand the gospel and you've put your faith in Jesus and you would call yourself a Christian or born again, we use all these ways to explain the same thing. That if you are that, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are a minister. That is part of your role. That is part of your identity on this earth. And your ministry is showing and sharing Jesus. If you're a believer, you're a minister. And your ministry is showing and sharing Jesus. Let's pray and we'll dive into this. Father, you're good. Thank you for just a great first service, Lord. Thank you for how you use your word in our lives, God, that we are not here to talk about some old dead book or some old dead religion, but you are the very God that is living and breathing inside of us, Lord, and is the God by whom all things consist, for whom are all things. Jesus, you are enough, and so open our eyes to see the glorious riches of this mystery that Paul talks about today. Lord, let our hearts be open, let our minds be engaged. Lord, get me out of the way. Lord, let my flesh um, be silenced. Lord, if, if anything comes from that, may it fall, but may your word go forth from my mouth, Lord, and and uh, may you be pleased with Jesus today, Lord. And we thank you. You're enough. We love you. It's in your name we trust. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. So I wanted to find the word minister, okay? Because Paul's really talking about, I'm a minister of the church. I'm a servant of the church. And so the word minister is the word diakonos in the Greek. And when you hear that, you probably know what other word we get from that. And it's the word deacon. And that's right. In the New Testament, the word diakonos is translated to deacon three times. But it's more commonly translated to servant eight times. And 20 times, it's translated to this word minister. And so if we're ministers of Christ, we should probably know what that means, all right? And here's what a minister is. There's four definitions. I'm going to read them off. One who executes the commands of another. A servant, attendant, a minister. Second, the servant of a king. And I love this because we already see like the spiritual implications of this word that yeah that's right that makes sense with the rest of our theology and then the third a deacon one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church cares for the poor and has charge of and distributes the money collected for their use and then i like this last definition a diakonos a minister is a waiter one who serves food and drink and i love that because we really do serve food and drink we serve the bread of life and the water of life that is our ministry, church. And so we need to understand that this is, this is not some side topic. This is not a talk for like, you know, pastors and church leadership. That if you're a believer in here, you are a minister. And your ministry is showing and sharing Jesus. And that is part of your role and your identity on this earth. We have to understand that. And, and, and why can I say that? Because when you read this, we're not, we're not reading like Paul's addressing us or addressing the Colossians. He's talking about himself. But in 2 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, Be ye imitators of me, as I am of Christ. And so that doesn't mean that we, okay, let's look at all the details of Paul's life. Let's look at everything he did, everything he said, and let's, you know, let's become copies and, and clones of Paul. No, but we would do well, church. We would do well to understand the passion and the pursuit of this man and to pattern our lives accordingly. Because Paul really did love Jesus and he knew Jesus. And so when we are following Paul, it's not like he's our Messiah. We are following Jesus. But Paul really helps us know how to walk in that, okay? So it's not just Paul that's a minister. We are ministers. It's not just me or pastor or someone else. We are all, if you are saved in here, 
If you're a believer, you're a minister, and we have to understand that, okay? Because what we're talking about is our ministry. And first, we're going to see the cost of our ministry. The cost of our ministry. Colossians 1.24, we start out today, and Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Now remember, why does Paul say, he's never met them, so why does Paul say, I'm suffering for your sake? We know he's in prison in Rome, the other side of kind of the known world in that day. And here's the truth, is that when you read the book of Acts, when you read the rest of the letters of Paul, the New Testament, Paul wrote nearly two-thirds of our New Testament. That you see that he suffered much more than just being in prison. But why is he suffering? He's suffering because he is preaching the gospel. And when he, was in, when he was with his own people, when he was with the Jews, specifically he suffered not just for preaching the gospel, but for preaching it to Gentiles, which made up basically the entirety of the Colossian church. And then when he's with Gentiles, they also persecute him because people start leaving idolatry and they stop giving business to these pagan organizations and they're like losing their minds. They're like, we've got to stop this guy. He's turning the world upside down. He's changing everything. And we look at that and we smirk and we say, that's awesome, right? And they're like, uh-uh, let's put this guy in prison, let's whip this guy. So whether, whatever people group it's with, Paul's like, I'm suffering, I'm suffering for your sake because the reason I'm suffering is because I'm preaching the gospel so that you might know it and you might be saved. And church, we need to know that there is a cost to this ministry. There was a cost to Paul's ministry and as believers, there is a cost to our ministry as well. In the book of Acts, um, is one of the most astounding verses that I find in the New Testament where Saul on his way, Paul, Saul, on his way to Damascus when he is persecuting Christians. He's on his way to Damascus to find more Christians, to put them in prison, to get rid of them, to, to get rid of this sect of, of Christians, of Jesus followers, and he meets Jesus himself. And, and, he, is, he, and he is changed. He is he's struck by this light and, and Jesus says, Paul, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're persecuting me. Like you're trying to serve God? It's me. What are you doing? And Paul's blind, and they they help him into the city of Damascus. And there, God calls a saint that is in the city, Ananias. He says, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy named Saul, and I want you to open his eyes, because I'm going to use him. And Ananias is like, Lord, I don't think that's a good idea, because this guy, I've heard of him, and I know why he's here. He's here to get people like me and delete us and eliminate us and get rid of us. And God's like, bro, chill. It's cool. I have a plan for this guy. Listen to God's plan for Paul's life. In Acts 9, 15 and 16, it says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go your way, for this man is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. When we say God has a plan for your life, we don't think that. That's not where we go. That's not what our, the fantasies that our flesh comes up with. But that was the plan for Paul's life. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul did suffer. Paul did suffer. When you read 2 Corinthians, I, I, we don't have time to get into it. But Paul lists out his sufferings to the Corinth church. He's like, these people that are boasting themselves like they're something, guys, look, look what I've been through for this, Okay. And he starts listing out all of these things. And one of them is stoning. Stoning was execution. So in the book of Acts, Paul's in the city of Lystra. 
and they don't like him very much, so they drag him out of the city and stone him. It was meant to kill people. You didn't survive stoning, okay? But Paul, God's like, nah, I ain't done with you. The brethren come around, they're like, he's dead. Paul gets up, goes back into the city. And more than that, some of the stuff he endured is, is insane when you think through the logistics and, and how, what that would mean, the ramifications of what he suffered. Paul knew this. Paul knew this, and when he says, I'm suffering for your sake, he's not talking about light or just the, pri- the state of being in prison where he's at. John Calvin said, whomever the Lord has adopted and deemed worthy of his fellowship ought to prepare themselves for a hard, toilsome, and unquiet life crammed with very many and various kinds of evil. <laughs> Welcome to church. This is, this is not the stuff we like to hear, church. But this is the reality, and in America, we we do get off the hook a little bit. We don't have to go through the severity of what Paul went through. But if you're a believer in Jesus, there is a cost. It will cost you something. It will cost you your life, dying to yourself, whether that's your physical life or the life that your flesh wants to come up with. There's a dying to ourselves. There's a cost involved, and it's not to say that there's not suffering in this room, though there's very real suffering, and I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to look over that. But what it is to say is that as the people of God, we do not run from suffering. We do not try to make our lives as comfortable as we can. We do not try to protect our little bubble and make sure nothing's going to go bad. We don't go looking for suffering. That's, no, that's not who we are. But when it comes, when God in his providence chooses to allow suffering into our lives, we don't run from it. We lean into it by his grace and say, okay, God, what do you have for me in this? What do you have for me in this? And I don't know about you, but man, that is not me. (laughs) Uh, The smallest things happen, and I start, my faith cracks, and I'm just like, God, my truck, it needs, you know, gas is so expensive, and, you know, whatever, you know, who knows whatever it is. This relationship is hard. I don't like dealing with this person or whatever, and there's all these things, and instead of saying, God, what do you have for me in this suffering? What is this suffering producing that you desire? I just want to run from it. And that's not who we are, church. And I want to touch on something Paul says, but I can't spend forever and, I, forever, and I wish I could. But he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And that sounds almost heretical. It's kind of like, Paul, what are you even talking about? What is that referring to? And I wish I had time to get into the implications and ramifications of what he's saying, because it is rich and it's beautiful. But here's what I want to invite you to do. I took a screen grab of something here, and when you look up that phrase, when you Google that, the first one that comes up is desiringgod.org, and it's a message by John Piper that really, really gave me some insight and really challenged me when he's talking about this passage, Colossians 1.24. And he defines this phrase, and he looks at that phrase and all that it means, and it is rich. I listened to it at least twice and probably more. It's a transcript. There's the audio you can listen to, and I'd really encourage you after the service here, so much time, go look at that. Um, but just to give us a working definition to move forward with. Basically, what Paul is saying is not at all that he needs to help Jesus suffer. He needs to suffer because Jesus' sufferings weren't enough to accomplish salvation for us. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that Jesus, I need to suffer because Jesus didn't suffer enough. No. But what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is the presentation and the understanding of those sufferings to the church at Colossae, to the church at Laodicea, to the church at Philippi, to these churches. And so Paul says, when he says, 
I am filling up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He's saying, I am a physical representation of the sufferings of Christ to you. I'm a picture of the love of God. When I get to suffer for his namesake, I rejoice in it because I get to be a picture of Jesus to you. I get to demonstrate to you the love and the, 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 what he went through to accomplish salvation for you. And so he says, I fill up what is lacking. I want you guys to know, I want you guys to understand. And though you didn't see Jesus suffer, you didn't, get, you didn't get to see and you didn't get to experience that. When you see me suffer, you get to understand the reality of it, that there's still a cost. It's not, an accurate, it's not accurate theology to say that because Jesus suffered, we don't have to. That is not theologically correct. No, because Jesus suffered, we have all the grace that we need to endure suffering in this life. And he promised that we would, that we would suffer, church. So suffer well. So we see the cost of our ministry, and now let's look at the message of our ministry. The cost of our ministry. What is the message? Why is Paul in prison? What is he preaching? What is this message to the Colossians and everybody else? In um, verses 25 and 27, he says, I have been made a servant of it, of the church, according to the commission of God, which has been given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them, God would make known what is the glorious riches of this mystery among the nations. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is where we're going to zone in today. Paul talks, starts by talking about this mystery, and he's like, okay, I'm a servant of the church. I'm a minister of the church. He's not even really talking about that he's a minister to the world. He says, I'm a minister to you guys to make the gospel known to you so that the word of God, this mystery, can be revealed through you to the nations. He says, I'm ministering to you. I'm ministering this message. What is the message? Think about it. The mystery. Why does he call it a mystery? For thousands of years, the Jews look at the scripture, they look at the law. You go back to the beginning of time, to Adam and Eve, where they blew it all for us. And now we're in this mess, and God says, okay, things are going to be different because sin is in the world. But he says, one day, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we look at stuff like that, the Jews and the scribes, they look and they're like, okay, what is that? referring to what is that talking about and then you fast forward a couple hundred years and you see Moses and he's like Israel God has chosen you but you are a stiff-necked people and you're going to go into the promised land and you're just going to forsake God and he, he's going to punish you you're going to be handed over to another nation Moses just calls shots like hundreds of years in advance and it's kind of depressing but he says one day there's going to come a prophet like me and you will listen to him and we're left and we're thinking, okay, well, who is that? What, what can that be talking about? What can that be referring to? And you're searching the scriptures as a Jew and you're looking at these things and then you see the prophets and they're talking about this, this one who's gonna bear the sin and he's gonna bear our transgressions. And you look at Psalm 22 and, and, and describing the sufferings of Jesus specifically and you're like, what is this? And it starts becoming more and more clear and then you get to Colossians and Paul says, the mystery has been revealed. It's revealed. It's no longer a mystery. And what is it? What is this mystery that, that for ages has been hidden? What is the point of all of this, church? This is big. Verse 27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God, in his love and his infinite wisdom that I can't understand, would choose to leave the heavens and leave his throne, being made lower than the angels, enduring this life, and he doesn't just go back to heaven and say, good luck. He says, I want to live in you. 
I want to indwell you and consume you and make you like me because I am the fullness of all that is good and all that is right and all that is joy. And that is what you need. And, and Paul says, the glorious riches of this mystery. That church, when Jesus came, we've said it before and I'll say it again. He, doesn't, he didn't just come to give us some things and make life a little better or enhance our life. He came to give us himself. A dear saint, Johnny Erickson Tata, said this, God doesn't just give us grace. He gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. And we could say that God doesn't just give you joy. He doesn't just add a little peace into your life. He gives you Jesus who is the fullness of those things. Church, we need Jesus. I need Jesus. Remember, who is Paul ministering to? The church. He says, you need Jesus. You need to understand this. I'm preaching this and I want this. This message is being made known through you to the nations. This is it. This is big, church. And here's what can happen is that in our modern day, in 21st century America, as the church, we have every strategy and method and resource available to us to get this message out, to communicate this message effectively. And, and by the Spirit of God, He has allowed so many things to go forth, and, and so many have been saved, and, and we use these methods, and we use all these things. We use instruments in, in worship. We use, you know, this curriculum. We use this ministry. We use a building. We use all these techniques and, and everything to get people in church, to minister the gospel to them. And what can happen, church? Hear me is that we start losing the wonder and the awe of this message and how good it really is and how transforming and how powerful it really is that we start looking to all these other things and we start, we start just minimizing the gospel and cheapening it. Now it's all about getting homeless off the street. Now it's all about, you know, making sure kids don't grow up and be bad or, you know, let's get crime down or let's restore our city, which are all good things. Let's feed hungry kids. And some of you are hearing this and you're like, what are you talking about? What are you saying right now? Those are good things. And the Spirit of God will move us to accomplish those things. But this is our message. This is what people need. That when we look with the eyes of our flesh, and we see images of people suffering, we should be moved by that. But our answer, if our answer is, let's just get people off the streets, let's just get marriages together, let's just, if that's all we're doing, that is a cheap gospel, and you don't need Jesus. You can come up with strategies, you can come up with other things, but you don't need Jesus. This is our message, church. You need Jesus in you. And yeah, I may wrap Jesus up in a sandwich and give it to someone. I may wrap Jesus up in, you know, instruments and, 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 and enhancing worship. And I may wrap Jesus up in, in, a, in a ministry, in a building, in, in something that we give in a curriculum to give to people so that they'll receive it. That's good. That's, God will lead us to do that. He uses means. It's not that we just go out and say, Christ is in you, Christ is in you. That, no, no, no. It's not that that's all we say, but that is the essence of our message. And what can happen is we're, we're, we start wrapping these things up like a gift, right? When you give a gift, usually you wrap it, right? Why do we do that? It basically helps people receive it better, right? It's kind of fun to get a wrapped gift and you unwrap it. What happens to the wrapping paper? It's thrown away. Who cares? It's gone, right? Or reused if you're in my ham family for like a decade. Some bags, man. It's good. It's nostalgic, a bag of wrapping paper. But what happens is that we start losing our awe and wonder for the gift itself that we are giving to people, that we are constantly wrapping and rewrapping, and now all we start doing is giving wrapping, people, wrapping paper to people. And it's flashy and it's good and it looks the same. Oh, 
it looks the same. And we give this away, and, and we're still, we, we're growing our churches, man. We're getting bigger buildings. We're getting bigger ministries, man. We're seeing South Fresno restored, and crime rates are going down, and all this stuff is good, right? We're getting the right people in office, whatever it is. But then people start unwrapping this gift we gave them, and they're just as empty as they were before because there's nothing in it. There is no gospel. There's just flesh fluff, and it doesn't change anybody. And it doesn't do anything. That, that, man, we can worship without instruments. We can, we can meet. We can, if we didn't have this building, would we still be the church? Would we still? Like, this is our message, church. We need to be careful. Is this what we are preaching? Is this what we are ministering to people? Or is it morphed into something else because this no longer is good enough? This no longer is amazing to us. This no longer is transforming us. Paul to the church in Corinth, he writes this, Brothers, when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech of, or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech was, and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, oh, Corinthians, when I came to you, I didn't come to impress you. I didn't come to show you how smart I am, to show you all the knowledge that I have, and oh, look at this, and this is what this means, and this. He just says, when I came to you, I just wanted to know one thing, and that was Jesus and him crucified. That was his preaching, because he's like, I didn't want you to trust in man's wisdom. I didn't want you to see the wrapping, but I didn't want you to put your faith in wrapping paper. My preaching was in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, because the message is that good, and this is the gospel, and this is what the Holy Spirit used to transform lives. And he will use our methods, he will use our strategies as we walk in obedience, and he will use all of that, but this is what changes the lives. Not how good our worship is, not how effectively we communicate the word of God, not how, no, the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is what changes lives, church, and that is the message that we preach. That is our ministry. There's a cost to our ministry. There is a message of our ministry. What is the purpose of our ministry? Let's move on. What is the purpose of our ministry? What is this message? What is Paul seeking that this message would accomplish? In verses 28 and 29, he says, Jesus, whom we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present them perfect in Christ Jesus. In this I labor, striving according to his power, which effectively works in me. Look at this. This is, Paul is not interested in just shotgunning the gospel to as many people as he can. He's not interested in just, let's just throw seed out wherever it lands and we'll just do our best. Look at his goal. This is a very high goal that Paul has set. We're preaching and warning who? Everyone. Teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone. Perfect in Christ Jesus. What, what does that even mean? Perfect does not refer to this idea of morally flawless and incapable of sin, okay? It's this idea of completeness and wholeness, not lacking in anything. That it is not okay, church, to settle in our walk. It is not okay to have one, two, three areas together, uh, but you're kind of a crummy spouse. Or, oh, maybe you're great with your family and you're loving your husband and you're taking care of your kids, but you're not really ministering the gospel to anyone else. No, 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 that is not. The gospel is bigger than that. 
the message we have is better than that. It's more powerful than that. Paul says it is able to complete us and make us whole in Christ and grow us to maturity. And when we talk about discipleship, when we have our primers that we're saying, man, get into one-on-one Bible study, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what we want to see. It's not just how many people can we get in church, how many people can come up and, and pray the prayer and get saved. How many people have Jesus in them? Where is the power of God? Where is the Spirit of God moving in people? Where can we be used in that? And Paul says, man, in this I labor. I am striving. He is actively putting forth an effort to accomplish that. But if I stop there, we're lost. It is what Paul says next that changes and is so beautiful and it changes everything. He says, in this I labor, striving according to his power, which effectively works in me. This is so good. Paul is not preaching this message and then just kind of going his merry way. He he is living this message. He says, I have Christ in me. How do you accomplish something like that? How do you present everyone perfectly in Christ? How do you disciple that many people? How do you see people mature like that? Paul says, well, I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. And he works effectively in me as I labor, as I walk in obedience, as I grow in my love for him, as I grow in my relationship, as I understand this mystery, the glorious riches of this mystery. That power works effectively in me, and I can communicate, and I can help others see, and I can demonstrate the love, and I can suffer for the sake of others so that they can see Jesus in me, and they see, what they see is not just Paul spinning his wheels like a madman. They see Jesus working effectively through Paul, and they understand, wow, this gospel's real. It has some power. Like, this is, this is not just a religion. Like, there's something here. Maybe the message really is that good. Maybe the message that we have can accomplish this. Maybe God is able, church, that we're not, we're not just in this to kind of get saved and go to church and enjoy the rest of life. We have, we have been called, there's a higher calling, church. Are you walking worthy of your calling that you've already been given, that you've already been called to? In Ephesians, Paul says something similar to, to the church at Ephesus. He's talking in the, in, in the context of spiritual gifts, and he says he gave some to be apostles. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body. Why? For what purpose? Until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a what? A complete man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are becoming like Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, it's hard to become like him. If you're not understanding who he is, and you don't understand that he is in you, your growth is going to be hindered. That we are actively becoming like Jesus. And part of that church is that we, the Spirit uses us. And as we are becoming more like Jesus, this thing is not just an individualistic thing that we do. That it's just me and Jesus and I'm growing and I'll go to church because that helps me. And, you know, I'll help some other people. But no, we are the church. Not you, not me. We. That we make up this thing together. And that we become like Jesus together. That the Spirit will lead you to be actively involved in other people's sanctification. And listen, He will use other people to be actively involved in yours. That you don't get, you don't get to just, you know, soar and think you're the world and think you know everything. That, that He's going to use people in your life to chip off that pride and it's going to hurt. 
and it's not going to feel good. That church, this is what we talk about when we say making disciples. This is what we talk about. This is why we have the primers. This, this is what we want to be about because that's what we see the Apostle Paul being about. And he says, imitate me. Look, we don't know better than this man. I'm just going to be honest, man. The, the, the grace and the, the relationship that Paul has with Jesus, man, I don't understand it. I want to know it. I want to understand it. I, I, I want to be able to endure suffering like he did. I want to love people like he did. I want to pursue this with, with all of my life. I want to be at that point where, where, where God really is that good to me, where this message really is that powerful, where it really is that transforming in my life. This is big. The goal of our walk is to become like Jesus, and part of that involves helping other people become like Jesus. That if you are not, if the Holy Spirit is not leading you to be actively involved in other sanctification, then your growth is greatly hindered as a Christian. Because it doesn't just happen. It's not about how much information and, you know, how well can you adjust your life. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand this? Do we understand this? Have we left this? I've been doing some work in the area of, like, anti-human trafficking in our city, and there's just some really cool people, some really cool ministries that I'm getting to the chance to be involved with, and I'm hoping that, man, God gets to use us in that. And when I'll go out on like a Friday night to Belmont Avenue, and I'll see these girls who are selling themselves, and I'll be with these dear ladies who have been ministering for years, and, and they're out there trying to be very careful how they go about reaching these girls, and they have to kind of tell them, hey, he's with us, so they know I'm not like a buyer like that kind of stuff, like crazy, like what's going on? When you see that and you're just, you're, you can be moved and hopefully we're moved. But what so easily can happen is that it's all about now getting these girls off the streets. Let's get them into better situations. Let's, let's, let's show them that there's a better way instead of they need Jesus. Because if we get them off the streets, sure, that's good. Oh God, that's, we need that. But if we get them into better lives and they get married and they be happy and they, they gotta ha they be happy. They, they, they live these happy lives. And they don't know Jesus and they don't have Jesus in them. We have done nothing. And that sounds harsh because that's not what the world tells us. The, the, what our flesh says and the world says is that, no, this is important. We just need to feed hungry people. We just need to see families get back together. We just need to see the crime rates going down and, 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 and we just need to get to this. And, and we're, the Christian message is not that message. The Christian message is Jesus in you, the hope of glory. There is no hope of glory in anything else. I don't care how well we, you know, if we solve world poverty, if we saw this entire city, I mean, you go down to downtown, I would love to see God just restore downtown and, 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 and where people are there and it's not all this crime and, and Fresno, it's rough, man. But if that is our goal, if that is our pursuit, that's just really cheap. But it doesn't feel like that because we value that way up here. And the gospel is kind of like this add-on. That, yeah, you need that, but really this is what we're going after. Church, have you lost the wonder of this message? Do you understand how good Jesus is and that he is in you and what that means? It's hard because I don't get to talk about all the ramifications of what Christ in you means because that's in Colossians 3 and 4. So hang on. So we're going to get there, okay? But it's leaning into this thing and saying, and it's leaning into this thing and saying, God, Search me. Where, 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 what am I valuing? Where are my priorities at? Are we on the same page, church? Because we can, 
have the biggest ministry in the city. We can have the best worship and a light show and awesome. And man, I hope we get there and, you know, we're having events and, and we got the whole city coming out and whatever. All these improvements are happening. But if it is not accomplishing this and people are not being made complete in Christ and they're not growing to the full stature of Jesus, the fullness of God, they're not going there. We're something, but we're not the church. We're not the church at that point. And just like God said in Revelation, I know your works. I know what you're doing. It's great. But you've left your first love, so repent or else you're not going to be my church anymore. Whoa! Church, are we accomplishing this? Are we seeking to? <laughs> I stand up here. I'm not, I'm a hypocrite, man. I, I want this to happen. I want to see God. And I'm saying, church, let's, let's get back to this. Let's, let's, this message has done a work in my heart for the past few weeks before it is ever coming out of my lips here. That I want to understand. I just look and I look at Paul and I just say, God, what am I missing? Like, like look at the way he even describes it. The glorious riches of this mystery. Is this gospel glorious to you, church? Is this gospel rich to you? Is it everything you desire? Because glory was what we're made for, the fullness of God experiencing Him. And the only way we have hope in that is through this message. It's Jesus in you and diving into that. We don't move beyond that. We move deeper into that. We uncover the riches of that and say, oh, man, and as we're going to see as we move on. So we see the, the cost of our ministry, the message of our ministry, the purpose of our ministry. Now let's look at the intimacy of our ministry, okay? We made it to chapter 2. In verse 1, I would like you to know, Colossians, what a great struggle I am having for you and for those at Laodicea and for everyone who has not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, be knit together in love, and receive all the riches and assurance of full understanding and knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone beguile you with enticing words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing and seeing your orderliness and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Look, Paul is not just this disconnected theologian that kind of just goes around and says, okay, you know this, okay, you know that, great. He is intimately involved and acquainted and cares and, and, and bears heavy the weight of these churches and the love that he has for them. Back in our, our 2 Corinthians passage where Paul's listing out all his sufferings that we didn't really get to read through, at the end of all those things, he says, it's, it's, almost, it's almost humorous. He says, beside all these external things, which are ridiculous, he says, the weight of the churches, the care for all the churches is upon me. What churches? Well, Colossae, Laodicea, Philippi, Lystra, Berea, Thessalonica. I mean, we keep listing the church in Jerusalem and Antioch and, and all these churches that Paul is not just, he's not just interested that they get this knowledge and okay, there's people in the church. He's like, how are they doing? Are you bearing fruit? Are you walking worthy of your calling? And just like he says in 24, he's never even met them, but he says, look, I'm suffering for your sake. This is real. I do care for you, church. And he says in chapter two, I'm struggling for you and for Laodicea because you received this knowledge, you received this faith secondhand. You received it from Epaphras. And he's like, you don't know me. And you're hearing about me, but you don't even know me, haven't even met me. And so he's like, man, I wish I could be there. I wish I could, could meet you face to face so that you would receive all the assurance of full understanding and the knowledge of Christ that, that when you hear it, because why? Because all these false teachers are coming in and they're saying different things now. 
right? They're seeing Jesus is great. That's good. But, you know, there's like this, this higher knowledge, this secret knowledge. That if you do this, man, you can obtain this. And then over here, yeah, Jesus is good, but are you doing these religious duties? Are you fulfilling these, you know, religious traditions over here? And now there's confusion. The church is like, what's going on? What, what do we believe? And Paul's like, look, I knew if I was there, I would preach the same message, and you would see me living it, and you would understand. You'd be like, right. Okay, this is true. This is real. Epaphras didn't just make this thing up. And that as, even as they're reading this letter, as Epaphras is probably reading this letter to them, they can hear the care, they can hear the love that Paul has for them. And then he says in verse 3, and he's, and he's just, what is he doing? He's almost like giving them a mini sermon. He's preaching the gospel and just fitting it in there. He's like, I want you to understand the, the full assurance and knowledge of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he just cancels that false doctrine. And he says, look, 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 Colossians. Everything you need to know, all this wisdom, all this knowledge that you're, these people are claiming to have, it's all in Jesus. Just like we said earlier, we don't go beyond Jesus. We don't go beyond this message. We don't have anything better than this. This is our gun. This is our ammo. This is it. And it's that good. Because it's Jesus himself that we give away. And Paul says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why do you say this, Paul? In verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone beguile you with enticing words. Paul knows what's going on. And he's like, don't, don't listen to them. It's all in Jesus. And then he says this, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing and seeing your orderliness and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And he's like, guys, hold on. I'm not there, but I'm there. I am praying for you. I am caring for you. I am suffering for you. And though I'm not there physically, man, my spirit is there and I'm beholding. And he almost like passively challenges them and encourages them. And he's like, man, I'm there and I'm beholding your orderliness. That you're not getting confused, that you're not, that you're orderly, right? Wink, wink. That you're steadfast in your faith. You're not departing from it. And he's like, and I rejoice in it. And church, this intimacy that we see in Paul, not just here, but when you read his letters, especially like Romans or the other letters that he wrote, at the end of the letter, sometimes the entire last chapter of his letter is just dedicated to just him mentioning specific people. And he's like, oh, say hi to them, say hi to them. Man, that family, they really blessed me, man. Or tell them, fulfill their ministry. Tell those two, stop fighting, right? And he's saying this stuff, and you're like, what's going on? And to us, it like means so little, because we don't know them, but Paul did. He knew those people, and he prayed for them, and he loved them. And you see at the beginning of letters, he says, man, we are praying for you. And sometimes he's like, man, we're praying for you all the time. And you see him at the end follow up and he's like man these people and these people and these people and he knows these people and he's intimately acquainted with these people and church I don't think we know and understand this intimacy that this is more than just a Sunday morning during greeting time between the two songs where we go to the other side of the auditorium we're like hey I'm so-and-so you're so-and-so good to meet you awesome I see you at the second service in three weeks probably won't remember your name but you know cool we're in the same church building that there is a love that the Spirit will lead us into. There is an intimacy that we have with each other because God is in us and God unites us. That we are willing to sacrifice and suffer and care and pray and labor for one another so that we can see each other grow into the full stature of Christ so that we can see each other become complete. We are on the same team and we are working towards the same goal, church. And we have a privilege, we have the honor of loving each other. What, the, the world will know you by your what? The love you have for each other. 
Not how big your ministry is. Not how humanitarian you are. Not how philanthropic. I don't even, is that a word? No, by your love for one another. By your love for one another. This intimacy that the Holy Spirit leads us into. That is a display of the love that Christ has for us, church. I'm going to start wrapping this up here. Um, when we talk about this idea of intimacy, and, and you look at the cost of our ministry, the message, the purpose, the intimacy, that part of, this is all connected. It's not different things that Paul's talking about. That's what's so awesome, is that when I get the privilege of soaking in this for a few weeks, you see it's so beautiful because it's all connected together. And, and when we're talking about the intimacy that the Spirit leads us into to love and care for one another, that there's a willingness to suffer for one another. And this is one of the things that we, we have really like, opted out from as the American church, that we don't really have to suffer for one another. There are a lot of churches in Fresno, if you don't like someone here, just leave. And when we do that, when we just leave, when there's a little bit of conflict, or, man, I don't like this, ah, I don't, I don't know about that, ah, so-and-so said this, and... When we do that, we just like take the growth that God wants to produce in us. We just want to take the sanctification and just like cancel it. And just say, nope, not going to grow there. That God's like, here's an opportunity to grow. Here's a conflict. Here's a struggle. Here, you have the opportunity. You have the privilege to suffer for someone. To put up with that annoying person. To forgive them. To pray for them. And we just say... I'm going somewhere else because I'm not getting fed. You know, like, do you hear me? Like, this is the saddest thing. This is the saddest thing. And I'm not saying it's simple and clean and nice. No, it is messy. We are messed up. I am messed up. I got so much pride. I don't even know how to, like, come up on this stage. I was struggling to sleep last night. And I'm just like, God, I don't need, I'm messed up right now. And Like, but we, we dive into this messiness. Why? Because... Because we have something that is bigger than us. We have Christ in us. The hope of glory. And that really is enough. Jesus really is enough. And though there's messiness, and I, I'm not covering specifics of this situation and that situation, we, we really got to dive in and we really got to have wisdom in all these things. But man, we got to start with this. And we got to say, okay, are we accomplishing this? Is this what we're doing as a church? Is this what we're prioritizing as individuals and as a community? Here's our takeaway and we're done. A secret to a satisfied life is found in the message that we minister. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's it. Just like we've been saying for weeks, I'm not really saying anything new. Christ is enough. The secret to a satisfied life is the message that we minister. Just like Paul, he didn't just preach it, he lived it. And it was by living it that enabled him to preach it effectively and to see others grow and to see others bear fruit. The secret to a satisfied life is the message that we minister. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.